Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome one, welcome all. It is the NFC East mixtape, the greatest crossover event ever presented to anybody in the history of the world, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation's home for Philadelphia Eagles content and blogging the boys. SB Nation's home for Dallas Cowboys content. I am RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys in a rather chipper mood this particular week. He is Brandon Lee Gowden, whose Twitter avatar is just a, uh, a true chef's kiss at the particular moment on Twitter at Brandon Gowden. BLG, you and I started the NFC's mixtape 23 weeks ago. This is volume 24. And we are here to recap the first matchup between the Cowboys and Eagles since then. 41-21. Good guys win. Bad guys go home as losers. How goes it? RJ, <laughs> uh, I feel like you wish I was more down than I am. But the truth is, as I said on the oddcast, that friends last forever. <laughs> and I had a great time, my friends, watching the Eagles game, even though they stunk. It was still nice to be around great people on Monday night. Whereas a loss to the Cowboys is just one bad night. So uh, who's the real winner here? It's me. Um, I love how you are now bargaining. Um, that's that's the stage of grief you're at here. Um, and BLG, I'm not upset about the game. I'm really not up, like I legitimately not like mad about the game. I know that you're not, and I am. You know, I'm getting my joy out of your Twitter profile picture, which again, BLG. Seriously, and I think every Cowboys fan agrees, man of your word, way to own up to the bet. It's going to be a great week on Twitter.com. What is fueling me right now is all of the Eagles listeners on BGN Radio because they're upset. How could the Eagles lose to the Cowboys? Wentz is better than Dak, they said. Oh, McCarthy sucks. McCarthy's 2-1 and one against the Eagles. Think mm. about that. That is so depressing if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So I've had some coffee today. I've had some energy drinks. I've had a lot of water. Uh, but more than anything, I have the spirits of positivity and good vibes funneling uh, all of the things and movements that I'm making in my life. I mean, vibes are the only thing that matters. And the Eagles' vibes were not good, clearly, as I said, RJ, heading into this week three game. And that ended up being a big deal because Seagulls team, uh, not so great. I'm I'm kind of willing to or ready to revise my take that I said in week one that kind of showed us that hey the Eagles aren't like a total disgrace of a team. Which I mean, I mean I guess that much is true. Like they're not the Jets, they're not the Jaguars. Sure. Like, they're gonna they're actually they won a game this year, and I, I think they're gonna win some more. Whereas I don't know if those other teams even will win one. Maybe they will one or two, but that's it. And the Eagles can still win multiple games. I don't think they're that bad. Um, they're certainly not a good team. And I think that much is clear. Certainly a flawed team. Uh, yeah. So am I shocked by that? No, because this is exactly why I was feeling not great 
about the Eagles in the offseason. I think a lot of people let themselves get jaded by the distance from last season and the optimism of a new season, which, again, is totally fine, and no one should be uh, at fault for feeling optimistic. I think after the Week 1 game, RJ, after coming off such a bad 2020 year, I think it was okay to overreact and want to feel good because you don't know how long that's going to last. And clearly it didn't last. I don't blame, I don't begrudge anyone for that. I don't blame anyone for that. What I do blame people for is talking down on anyone such as myself who did not feel good about the team and acting like that wasn't a valid opinion to have. Cause that was very much the thing. And like, I'm not happy about being right. I want the Eagles to do well, but I was right. Um, you also were right. I joked before that you hated on Jalen Hurts. You just you weren't up. You, I don't even want to say you weren't optimistic, but you were not ready to be like, oh, you know, I was this, realistic. This is the guy. Um, Jalen Hurts, not good. And man alive, the standard Monday Night Football broadcast. I personally, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, almost Tuesday evening. Um, I don't think either of us have had time to watch the Manning broadcast yet, BLG. Uh, but the standard broadcast was just doing everything they could to make every excuse for Jalen Hurts. Well, he's, he's really just, he's basically, he's a rookie. I mean, and they kind of, the sentence started with like, you know, he's kind of a rookie to he's basically a rookie to like at the end of it, they were like, well, he's a rookie out there. You know what I mean? And all these excuses being made for him. He's not a rookie. He's had a full NFL offseason at this point. Granted, he had the COVID one last year. He's had a full training camp. He's had a head coaching change. That's fine. But no, you got to evaluate him the way he is. He stinks. Yeah, I didn't get to see anything from the Manning broadcast. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm sure there's some interesting stuff on there. Um, but yeah, the, the Hurts discussion is a little frustrating for me, RJ, coming out of the game. I think there's a little too much of like, oh, he's young. He's a rookie, like you said, which he's not. Just He just literally isn't. Like That's not even up for debate. He is very much not a rookie. Um, he's a young player. He is inexperienced. That much is true. But my problem with this conversation is that like, you can't just assume because a player is young and they struggle that they are definitely going to get better. I think not enough people when it comes to NFL players in general, not just quarterbacks, like can't accept that a player, what they are, like might largely be what they are. Not to mm-hmm. say Jalen Hurts can't ever get better and this is his peak. And like, obviously it's not because we've seen him play better than this. But like, I think this is giving you a realistic picture of what he is. I don't think it's like wildly off base, not just the one game, but the whole sample we've seen this season thus far. Like, I don't think this is like wildly off of what Jalen Hurts is and what is to come. Like, I think it's clear that the Eagles had concerns about Jalen Hurts. This is a, like, this isn't some kind of elite prospect. This is a guy who got benched in college because he wasn't good enough at passing. This is a guy who was taken in the second round at 53 overall. Um, this is a player who didn't have the best training camp, as I said, throughout training camp. This is a player who the Eagles clearly weren't all in on because they traded for a first round pick next year from the Dolphins. They moved back in this year's draft. And they also were super heavily connected to Deshaun Watson. There is a reason for all of those things. You can't just assume that Jalen Hurts is going to be the answer. RJ, people want to believe Jalen Hurts is the answer. And that is uh, rational from the standpoint of it would be amazing for the Eagles if Jalen Hurts is really good and you could use those first round picks that you have in the 2022 NFL draft to build around him as opposed to have to trade them for a quarterback. But like, just because you want that to happen doesn't mean it's realistic or it is going to happen. And I think everything we've seen from him thus far points to him not clearing that high bar that I think the Eagles are going to have for him. So 
I am going to, to forecast, and you certainly have a better grip on this than I do. That there's, if there's not already, um, I don't, I don't totally, you know, patrol the uh, the BGN, you know, comment section. However, there is a trolling the nation up on blogoftheboys.com that I highly recommend everybody go check out. Lots of fantastic comments from our friends Pass. over at BGN uh, during the game. Uh, but BLG, the meta take that's on its way is, man, Jalen Hurts ruined the Eagles because if if Howie hadn't drafted him. Carson would have been fine. Carson had come off winning the division in 2019. So Jalen Hurts came, ruined everything, came in, played well because <laughs> of the defense. That that meta take is on the way. I promise. That's that's coming from somebody. I don't buy that, but no. that is coming. Um, well, who drafted look, Jalen Hurts? I mean, that's what I agree. But look, mm. enough about the losers in this game. All right, enough with this. You know, these these 21 points, seven of which were these these Mickey Mouse gift you know, that, that Fletcher Cox got for them. Good for him, you know, and good for Javon Hargrave. Seriously. And that wasn't Mickey Mouse. That was, that was earned. That was the earned turnover. Mickey Mouse in the grand context of it. The Eagles, the Eagles offense did not put up 21 points. That's my Mickey Mouse comment. Um, So Eagles offense only responsible for 14 points. I want to talk about a real offense, not a training wheel offense, not a Mickey Mouse one, the Dallas Cowboys offense. Um, You have doubted. All right. You, you have said, I don't know about Dak. And I will say, I saw a tweet from Jeff Kavanaugh, who uh, works for 105 Tweet the Fan, the flagship of the Dallas Cowboys, um, and I kind of agree with this. He said the days of Dak as an elite running threat or a running threat in general might be over, but he is mm-hmm. operating at his highest level ever as a passer. And I do kind of agree with that. There were some times in this game where Dak, by the way, finished 21 of 26, 238 yards, three touchdowns. No big deal. Uh, there were some times where it was like, dude, Dak, chill out. You know what I mean? Like Dak was getting, I don't want to say reckless, but just as a as a fan watching, you're a little bit antsy, you're a little bit anxious because of everything we've been through. Uh, you're kind of holding your breath sometimes, even though you know he's okay. ESPN, by the way, BLG tried really, really, really hard to let us know that this was his first game back at AT&T Stadium since being hurt last year. Uh, but so I do kind of agree. Like we, this was the the first game this season where his mobility seemed suppressed in any way. And even that's an aggressive term, but he is just such an elite passer. I mean, and, and truthfully, this is the, this is the most efficient I've ever seen him operate as a passer, which is a really exciting thing. I just think the Eagles gave him all day not to take, I mean, the Cowboys deserve credit for that. I mean, the Cowboys offensive line, which is banged up even, you know, obviously Terrence Steele. Um, starting at right tackle like they just gave him all day to throw like when did the Eagles really ever get consistent pressure on Dak um, outside of Javon Hargrave you know forcing that turnover and like Javon Hargrave alone like he was the only player getting any kind of consistent pressure on Dak it just felt like he had all day to throw and he took advantage of it like there was no there's no pressure as anytime you just needed a big play they need to get pressure it just wasn't there at all um, Eagles also didn't help themselves there was a I believe in the uh, there's a goal to go sequence there it might have been on that fourth down play. The where, fourth and goal touchdown is Cedric Wilson. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. And the Eagles just rushed three. Like, okay, what are we doing? Like, you're not getting any pressure to begin with, and now we're rushing three, and we're yeah, definitely and not getting the, any pressure. The field is shrunk there, too, because it's it's fourth and goal. You know what I mean? Like, use the field to your advantage. But, you know, Dak Prescott didn't, like, scramble on that play. Just kind of, you know, scrambled out to his right. Not, not a real, you know, like, scramble drill or anything, but... Great throw, great catch from Cedric Wilson, who, by the way, had the catch of the game. Didn't count, obviously, but that circus catch along the sidelines, that's the guy replacing Michael Gallup. Like, the Cowboys have such an abundance of riches when it comes to pass catchers. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that would be a valuable thing to have um, (laughs) in the NFL? I mean, certainly not the Eagles, because they do not have that. By the way, uh, I mean, Dak here, I'm looking at PFF grades. For what it's worth, he's only the 21st graded quarterback, actually, this season, which is... 
I guess lower than you expect. See, his his run grade is bringing him down. Yeah, um, he's like the worst, and then his fumbling, obviously, too. I guess part with the fumble last night. So if you look at by pass, he is twelfth. Uh, uh, so there's that. Um, so you know, let's use this elite word uh, a little more uh, cautiously, I would say. But no, obviously he was good, and I think him having a lot of pressure. I mean, the Cowboys' offensive line in general, RJ, was just blowing the Eagles off the ball. Like they couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop the pass. The, the Cowboys were just having their way with the Eagles' defense, which is should be encouraging for Cowboys fans because the Eagles' defense was really good for through the first two weeks. Now, you know, granted they faced Matt Ryan and Jimmy G in that stretch, like not the best quarterbacks there. But um, as we talked about in last week's show, I'm sure like the Eagles had only allowed one play over 20 yards all season heading into Monday night. And I believe the Cowboys had two. So it's not like they ripped off a ton of those big plays. I mean, they consistently move the ball at will, though. There's just no, there's nothing stopping uh, the Cowboys offense uh, against, I don't think this Eagles defense is great, clearly, but I think that it's, it's at least respectable and uh, they did a good job. So Cowboys fans should be feeling really good about their offense. This was a, a nice, I don't want to say get right game, but Zeke had a great game, you know, and everybody was kind of all week long, like Zeke, Tony Pollard, blah, blah, blah. Uh, great game for Zeke, great game for Tony Pollard, great game for Dak. Uh, quiet game, a little bit of a quiet game for Amari Cooper, kind of the Eagles killer uh, and has been certainly at home uh, since 2018. Um, the real Eagles killer, BLG. It's Trayvon Diggs because in three career <laughs> games against the Philadelphia Eagles has an interception in every single one. Jalen Hurts has never played the Dallas Cowboys without throwing an interception in general, but specifically throwing an interception at least to Trayvon Diggs. Uh, the pick six, Devontae Smith, I was told, was going to be offensive rookie of the year by somebody that I know, uh, fell down and Trayvon Diggs took advantage of it. Uh, it just... Kind of a, a classic when it rains, it pours type thing. Like that was your like, okay, may, maybe because right before that, Jalen Hurts hits Dallas Goddard and you're like, okay, it's 20 to seven, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then boom, everything's just gone. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's a completion if Devontae Smith is still up because the ball was thrown inside on an out route. Like that's like Jalen Hurts stared that down. He looked that left all the way. I watched that replay multiple times. And Trayvon Diggs saw it from the jump. Like, Jalen Hurts telegraphed that pass. That is a classic pick six when you do that. Um, so it's a good play by Trayvon Diggs, but it's also a really terrible play by Jalen Hurts. Uh, I don't think Devontae Smith had, like, anything to do with that. It looks bad because he fell down, but, like, I don't think that impacted the play at all because the ball placement was really bad. Um, so uh, Trayvon Diggs, sir, has had these big games against the Eagles. He's also played against quarterbacks who have played terrible against them. Um, he's took advantage of it to his credit. But I uh, would like to see maybe one day in the future at some point uh, an Eagles quarterback who actually kind of can pass the ball and make basic throws. Like, that's the thing about last night's game. It wasn't even like you're asking Hurts to make, like, incredible throws. He couldn't do the easy things right. You couldn't do the basic things right. He stunk, man. He was he was terrible. I wish I could say I felt bad. <laughs> like, in any way. I, I mean, um, actually don't wish I could say it. Um, you and I talked about this a little bit, and I'm – I'm actually asking the question in a different way now. Uh, we had a lot of fun, if it wasn't obvious, with Nick Sirianni's T-shirt. Um, what is the general reaction? Because I know yours. I know, and I, I'm not at all saying this had any bearing on the game, but it became a talking point. It was something that the broadcast talked about. It's been a talking point all in the day after, etc. What is the reaction of Eagles fans as a whole? You know, like, are people upset with Nick Sirianni that he did this? Are people indifferent? Are people like, look, he wore the shirt, he tried, you know, whatever, it didn't work out. You know, we knew this season was going to be good. Like, what is the general temperature on Nick Sirianni right now? Because I, I want to talk about the temperature of both coaches, and I'm curious what, what Nick Sirianni's is right now. 
Well, my thing is like, hey, maybe it wasn't all Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz. Like everyone seemed to insist that it was last year. Not to say that those guys didn't, you know, have their own issues or weren't without flaws and didn't even necessarily uh, deserve to stay. Um, you know, there were issues there, but like it wasn't as simple as just replacing them with, oh, Nick Sirianni, up and comer, really promising. He's going to be the answer. He's going to he's going to play to player strengths. Like the the thing that bothers me about Nick Sirianni, and I think should bother a lot of people. Um, is the game plan. Like, it was a bad game plan. To go into Dallas thinking that you could like hang with them in a shootout is not the right approach to take. And also, okay, let's say it is. Like, is. Let's allow him that he is right. Even if that was the case, there were a couple fourth downs there, RJ, where he didn't go for it. So if that was your thinking, that you needed to be super aggressive in this game and you needed to match blow for blow, then why are you punting the ball in situations where you should be going for it and getting aggressive? So like his own plan, like he contradicted himself. It didn't make any sense. I think you're seeing a guy who has never called plays before, before this year, learning on the job, which is an issue and not fun to see those kind of growing pains. But also, again, with the use of growing pains there, like I feel like growing pains kind of insist that like you're going to come out on the other side good. That's not the case necessarily. That's not, that's not guaranteed. It could be like growing pains could be easily mistaken for flaws and being bad at what you're doing. So I think people are frustrated with Nick Sirianni. I think, you know, the t-shirt thing, it's, it's, it doesn't register to me just because if they win, they people love it. If they lose, they hate it. So what does it, what really matters here? Winning and losing. Um, I think you can say, you know, like, is it too Johnny college or whatever? I mean, maybe, I don't know. Um, I don't think, like player effort was necessarily the biggest issue with the loss as much as like getting out. Like the Cowboys were the better team on paper. They were favorite. They're three and a half point favorites. Everyone thought the Cowboys were going to win that game. They were, they just had more talent. That was, that's what struck out most to me. The Cowboys just had more talent, especially young players making big plays like CD lamb and Micah Parsons while the Eagles had like one nice Quez Watkins catch and what else going for them from their young players. You had like Lynn Dickerson struggling. He was getting blown up. Devontae Smith didn't make an impact. Uh, Jalen Rager sucks. He just he freaking sucks, man. He sucks. Um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> so I have said this a lot, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, but I'm gonna say it one more time. I get bad vibes from Nick Sirianni. And I you you actually on the oddcast on the Espionation NFL show made a really great point about Sean McVay and the celebration he had with the Rams, how he loves to make things all about himself. I one hundred percent believe that. And I 100% believe that there are NFL coaches who like to do this. I think there are NFL coaches who don't care about it, but there are some that like to do it. Sean McVay wants to be the guy that's like getting all the headlines. He wants to be the guy that the media is like, holy crap, he knows all the names on the defense. He's like, he loves that. He eats that up. I think Nick Sirianni's cut from that cloth. Again, the highlighter thing. I, I really 100% believe he's he's dressed like he's dressing the same way, dude. He wants that to be a thing. And I, in a weird way, respect it. In a very weird way, kind of like the Jeff Probst thing you sent me offline. We don't have oh to my get God. into that. That's <laughs> By the way, Survivor uh, Guy, shout out to Survivor Guy. Uh, Survivor Forty One uh, premiered, not incidentally, the week before the Cowboys dropped forty-one points on the Eagles. But anyway, um, you know, I think that Nick Sirianni is trying to create this like legend of himself that like Eagles fans can rally behind or whatever, and that's why he wears that highlighter on his visor because he wants everyone. He wants he wants it to be his thing. He wants to be Matt Patricia with the number two pencil. That's what he really wants. And like I get that energy from him so much. He's football hardo guy. And you know, in his his press conference afterwards, said all the right things. But he's like, you know, I want to give credit to Dak Kellen Moore, which is really nice of him. Respect. But he just it it it, mm. it seems inauthentic to me. I don't know if you agree. 
I don't agree from a standpoint of, I want to be clear here. I am not a Nick Sirianni apologist at all. I'm not. I'm honestly, I feel like a Nick Sirianni centrist of anything. Like I'm not, I'm not really ready to make a big determination on him in part because like, I don't care about the head coach, man. I don't want to, I don't want to hear a head coach anymore. That's all people focus on. And it's like the issues in Philadelphia go so much beyond that. I said that prior to Doug Peterson being fired and basically scapegoated. So like, I just get frustrated when all the focus becomes on him, when the roster sucks, when they're making stupid personnel moves and how he doesn't get any heat in terms of like, well, I mean, obviously fans get after him, but only like to an extent. And I also reverse course very quickly this offseason. You had people like after week one, even saying, like, oh, how he proved everyone wrong. He had a great offseason. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and clearly he didn't. Um, but to answer your kind of Sirianni thing, like, I honestly don't pick up on that from him based on what I know about him. Like, you're saying inauthentic. I think he's actually authentic to like, almost to a fault. <laughs> Maybe he needs to dial back some of the authenticism in terms of like, uh, like the you know the t-shirt or whatever or whatever he's doing there. I mean, like it's cheesy. I haven't seen... It's it's like I I agree that like sure the, the, that's the, who the, he like, is. He's a cheesy guy. But I think the directive behind it is authentic. But it's it's so like over the top that it becomes inauthentic. You know what I'm saying? Like he's he's you know he's the person who's like no guys you don't I don't need the standing ovation. No, nah, you know for real. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just it's weird. It, it, he's it's a it's like a humble narcissism. I know that's a, a, a an oxymoron, but like. I don't know. Um, and I think Mike McCarthy is kind of the same way. And like I said, I have some things together, but I'm not done praising the Cowboys quite yet. Um, CD Lamb, amazing. I mean, this CD Lamb got the game going. And I think that that's where this Cowboys offense is most dangerous is if, and I, I think you would agree, if you if they can get out to an early lead, it's just, I again, I'm not saying the Cowboys have the best offense in the NFL, but they're certainly in the conversation for it. They if they get ahead of you, it's just, it's difficult. You're it's quicksand all of a sudden for you. And, and it works. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't necessarily what translated in weeks one and two, but against these lower quality opponents, I mean, that can work in the NFL. And I think it will work more often than not. Yeah. I mean, that's what matters most. Like that's, what's frustrating to me about this loss for the Eagles and like some of the criticisms coming out of it. It's like, Oh, they didn't run the ball enough. And I, I, I agree with that to an extent, but it's not like running magically fixes everything. Why did the right. Cowboys win the game? Because they have an elite passing offense is why they won the game or one of the best passing offenses in the NFL. Like that's a big reason why they're able to put up 41 points. Like, how can you look at that? And I know the Cowboys are able to run the ball effectively too, but like, I think the passing mattered most and the Eagles didn't have answers for that. And I just can't, I don't know how you can like watch red zone, for example, or like just even look at the best teams, the very best teams in the NFL and think like, yeah, we just need to run more. That'll solve everything. That'll get us to be like one of those teams. Like, no, you need an elite quarter. This is not simple. I mean, it's, it is simple. This is not rocket science. Shout out to Matt Patricia. You need a very good quarterback. The Eagles do not have a very good quarterback. The Cowboys have a quarterback who's okay, and they make it work. Um, so it's that simple. Like, don't don't complicate it. It's that simple, and it's that simple. I mentioned that simple. The, I mentioned the Nick Sirianni press conference last week after the Cowboys beat the Chargers. Kellen Moore was asked about kind of the team's offensive identity. And he said, we want to aggressively attack what defenses give us. And one of the things that Nick Sirianni said, and I know maybe that triggered it for you. He said, look, they did a great job of handling what we gave them defensively. And you talked about keeping it simple. I think that that's something that a lot of NFL teams just don't get, like for whatever reason, be it, you know, an inability to get it or, you know, arrogance and ego, right? Like, no, like I think Matt Nagy is one of those coaches, like my scheme, my offense, like I'm going to win this way. You have to learn this. You have to operate this way. You have to live in this spot, blah, 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 blah. Kellen Moore isn't like that as an offensive coordinator, as a play caller. Kellen Moore is like, what's the path of least resistance? Cool. I'm going to do that. 
And some days, some games, it's throwing the ball a bunch of times. Some games, it's running the ball. Some games, it's a balance of both things. And I think he was calculated in the shots he took. I still think he's getting a little cute in the red zone sometimes. Cowboys red zone offense isn't that uh, red zone offense isn't that efficient. Uh, but overall, I again, low hanging fruit is fine as an offensive play caller. And Kellen Moore is one of the only ones who's willing to take it. I have a Kellen Moore take for you that I was thinking about today. Uh, you know how we've talked about like. Cowboys got really lucky when it came to Tony Romo and really lucky when it came to Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. I think they got really lucky when it came to Kellen Moore. I don't think there's any reason to believe that he was going to be this proficient of a play caller. Like, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't think like his background pointed to this at all. I remember there was a lot of skepticism about him. In fact, when he got into this role at first, I think even from yourself at one point, or at least the quarterback so, angle to it. So this this is the genesis of Kellen Moore as, as a coach, which does actually kind of tie into the Eagles. So yeah, he followed Scott Linehan to the Cowboys because he, he joined the Detroit Lions after going undrafted and um, followed Scott Linehan, was on their team, on their practice squad, gets on the roster in 2015 when Tony Romo got hurt. Um, you know, they went through Brandon Whedon and Matt Castle. They let Kellen Moore have a shot. Obviously, wasn't that great of a player. Despite the fact that Tony Romo was hurt the year before, they didn't do anything except for draft Dak Prescott in the fourth round, uh, which obviously looks smart now. But Kellen Moore was his primary backup in 2016. Kellen Moore, training camp, breaks his ankle. Holy crap, what are we going to do? Dak Prescott's primary backup. Tony Romo gets hurt. The rest is history there. Uh, Kellen Moore still was the team's backup quarterback entering 2017 and got outplayed by what was then an undrafted free agent in Cooper Rush, who became the Cowboys' backup quarterback. They cut him last year. Now he's still the Cowboys' backup quarterback. But that sent Kellen Moore to the practice squad in 2017. Late that season, uh, there were rumors that the Eagles wanted to poach Blake Jarwin off of the Cowboys' practice squad. So the Cowboys actually finally cut Kellen Moore to promote Blake Jarwin to keep him on their active roster and protect him. And then the following year, hired him to be their quarterback's coach. And yeah, I mean, I thought it was really strange that he was quarterback's coach in 2018. And right away after that, you know, soon after that, rather, is their offensive coordinator. And there, a lot of that was just kind of anybody but Scott Linehan. But Kellen has come in. And the Cowboys will tell you, at least the older uh, front, you know, regime of Jason Garrett, hey, we believed in him. He was always like taking notes and stuff when he was a backup quarterback. I, I buy that to a degree because he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he comes from a legacy of coaches. And so I, I can see that, you know, you saw little pieces of it, but he has really become certainly way more than I think anybody possibly thought he could be. Yeah, no one was. I, I just don't buy that anyone thought like he's going to be this elite. You know, I, I, anything that he became, I just don't, I don't see that. And honestly, how many situations RJ work out in the NFL where like the internal guy that gets promoted, like works out. And that's like the best long-term answer. Like more often than not, I feel like you have to look uh, not in house for that kind of person. It's, yeah, Jay, look at Jason rare. Garrett. I mean, as, as a huge example of that, I mean, so, so I think they got lucky in that. I mean, you know, it's working out for them. I'm not trying to take it away. I'm just saying, I think like we talked about the DAC thing, the Romo thing. I think that's another thing, but could be coming to an end, which I think is why it's more important for the Cowboys to win this year, because I don't see how he doesn't get hired in this next coaching cycle, maybe by the Eagles. I mean, I don't I don't know. They interviewed him last year. I don't know if they're being really one and done with Sirianni. I think they are going to have patience with him unless, you know, more games like there were last night. But uh, I think he's going to be gone. And I think the Cowboys should stop messing around. Just make him the head coach. So. 
for what it's worth, people thought that he would return to Boise State to be their head coach um, after last season for the Cowboys, but he didn't. That was really shocking because he does also kind of seem like a head coach that would do well in college, right? Like, especially like, you know, offensive strength. He's a young guy, you know what I mean? Going to his 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 particular alum. I mean, it just, it all the math made sense. But uh, for what it's worth, he is in the first of a three-year deal with the Cowboys, but it's, we all know when it comes to coaching, money's just money. Uh, but so I do want to bring up my kind of one big negative for the Cowboys from this game uh and you and I BLG and I have talked a lot today probably the most we've ever talked in a single day um and so it's been wonderful BLG because again just your tone has inspired me all day long uh but Mike McCarthy and his decision not to kick a field goal or not, not to try to attempt to kick a field goal, not to try to attempt a possession at the end of the first half. Uh, the scene is it's third down after the Eagles pick up five yards, I believe. Uh, third and 24, there's about a minute and 49 seconds-ish left if Mike McCarthy wants to burn one of his final two timeouts. The Eagles have the ball at their own 32-yard line. He decides not to take a timeout. In fact, he decides not to take a timeout after fourth down. The Eagles are the team that takes the timeout, you know, in a literal sense after fourth down. Um, there are a lot of Cowboys fans who are letting the results guide their thinking here, saying, we won, who cares, doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. This is really concerning to me, if I'm being totally honest with you. I think usually the right move is to be aggressive in most situations in the NFL, like a general guiding principle. But as, as I was watching the uh, Broncos Jets game on Sunday, there were situations in that game where I was like, this is like the rare opportunity where I would be really conservative if I'm the Broncos because the Jets are so bad. Like, it doesn't matter. Just kick, just kick the field goal. You don't need to go for it on fourth down in the red zone because like the Jets are terrible and they're not going to do anything. Just like, don't give them an accidental spark. Like, just play this safe. So that's not what I would do against the Chiefs, like by contrast. Like, you have to go all out. And, you know, I don't think the Eagles are anything on the Chiefs level, but I also don't think they're bad enough to kind of just totally dismiss. At they're least, not the you know, Jets. Right. Yeah, it's a division rival. Like, and I think you have to make sure, and it's such a, just a good opportunity to like to really crush them going into halftime and to pass on that. Obviously, yeah, it didn't burn them, but I think from a process standpoint, not just a results oriented standpoint, and that is something you can evaluate. You don't just look like, that's so. It's not even fun to me. Like if you're you're analyzing things from that kind of perspective, it's like people who complain when I do the power rankings for the odd cash. Shout out to my own power rankings. It's like people will complain to me sometimes that I don't have like a certain team with a record. Like let's say the Broncos, they're three and L. Like how could you have them behind the Chiefs for one and two? Well, it's, guess what? Because they have Patrick Mahomes, and like we think they're better. Right. And like a three and L record doesn't mean that the Broncos are necessarily better than the Chiefs. Like like there's more nuance to these things. And I think in this case, um, at least in your case, it seems like you're frustrated that there isn't enough nuance being applied here. I'm frustrated because if this happened, this situation, and everybody saw it, and by the way, in Trolling the Nation, there were several comments from BGN, lots of Eagles fans like, wow, I can't believe he's not calling a timeout here or whatever. Um, if it was just this situation in a vacuum, maybe you do chalk it up to like, maybe maybe you say, oh, Mike, Mike McCarthy must not believe in the Eagles. Maybe he thinks they're the Jets. You know what I mean? Like, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's this compartmentalized with what has happened over the course of the last two weeks in week one mm -hmm. at the end of the first half Mike McCarthy sends Greg Zerline out there uh to attempt a 60-yard field goal the kicker who they would cape for the following week and saying well he just had surgery blah blah it's like well why'd you send him out there for a 60-yard field goal Tom Brady gets the ball back and again every, lots of Cowboys fans letting the results dictate their thinking here 
you know, Tom Brady throws a Hail Mary that gets intercepted and actually almost brought back. But lots of Cowboys fans saying, well, who cares? You know, like nothing happens. Like, dude, the fact and I've used this exact phrase, the fact that that, that football was in the airspace of the end zone proves that this was a terrible idea to send Zerline out there for the 60-yard field goal. And then the following week, you know, I didn't have a huge problem with this in the moment. I know you were critical of it, but the way McCarthy handled the end of the game against the Chargers, he and Kellen Moore both said that they couldn't see the play clock, whatever, blah, blah. To me, it was kind of like, well, they got into makeable field goal range. They felt comfortable. The score was tied. You know, worst case scenario, they go to overtime. Again, not ideal, but I, I wasn't super critical then. But it's like, it's it's the collective here. It's the cumulative of everything that's happened in these first three weeks. You can find one whoopsie-daisy at the end of one of the you know two halves in each of the three games so far that Mike McCarthy has made a decision that is suspect. And that's not going to work when you play the Chiefs. That's not going to work when you play maybe the Raiders, when you play the Cardinals later on this season, when you get to the playoffs, because I think we both think this team's winning the division. And so those are the things that are are just, you know, and his his hubris about it afterwards. On, on Tuesday, Mike McCarthy was asked, uh, you know, if there were any analytics that went into this line of thought, because as you know, BLG, he is the PFF god. And he said, you know, he, he went on and on all this crap about, you know, you look at field position and number of time ads, blah, blah. And, and he effectively said that the numbers, which is McCarthy speak for analytics, dictated or lent towards calling timeouts, but that he took the conservative approach. Dude, if you want to be this guy, if, if you want to be Mr. Analytics, you want to be, you know, spouting off PFF scores like you're Chris Collinsworth on Sunday Night Football, then you got to be that guy all the time. Like th there isn't there isn't a happy medium here. You're either you either believe in that. And that's why, like, I respect the hell out of John Harbaugh and even Nick Sirianni to a certain degree who has embraced that principle. You can't say, well, this time I don't I don't feel as woke, you know, on analytics. So, like, I'm going to be conservative here. Like, that is a broken line of thought. Uh, the way I've heard it described is you have to be married to analytics. You're not just mm. dating them. Um, so I like that. Also, um, yeah, I, I, I know you don't you didn't love Brandon Staley's performance in week three, which we disagree on. Week two. I think he. Oh, no, week three. Sorry. But yeah, I, I think he didn't get killed for not taking timeouts himself in week two, which was silly of him to not do. But that's a different discussion. I, well, I think in general, though, and maybe you can agree with this, he coached to win that game. Like, he wasn't scared. Against the, like, Chiefs. He, Against the Chiefs you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he went all out. And, like, you need that, like, to beat the Chiefs. Like, you can't go – I and that's – so that kind of matters. When you're, you're talking about when the margin of error uh, starts to slim down. And I don't know – I mean, the Rams might be better than the Chiefs. Who knows? Like, if you're playing the Rams, you know, at some point in the playoffs or whatever, like, I think you're going to need that extra edge. And I'm not – that's the thing. I think that's one of the most important things. When we dumb this down to a basic level, especially a head coach who isn't calling plays, like, what are they bringing to the team? You, you want them to give you an edge somewhere. And that's my that's always been my thing with Mike McCarthy. Like, where is he giving the Cowboys an edge over another team? I fail to see that. It's – um, I, I – I do think he deserves credit for, and I know you'll be hesitant to give it to give him this, but the day after they lost to the Buccaneers, it felt really grim. Michael Gallup gets hurt, Lyle Collins suspended, Randy Gregory goes on the cover list, and Marcus Lawrence breaks his foot. Ty Secchi has heat exhaustion. Donovan Wilson has the groin issue. I mean, it just it felt like everything was really mounting against them. Like last season was starting all over again. Since all of that crap, they're two and zero. One of those wins on the road against a very good team in the Los Angeles Chargers. The other, a big time divisional win, a big time statement made. So I do think he deserves some credit, um, and I think that you know he is the least fraudulent of any NFC East head coach right now. And there's a lot of fraudulency happening in this particular division. Um, where do you want to go next? Now that we have firmly established that the Dallas Cowboys destroyed 
the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. Um, and by the way, shout out to Seamus Clancy, who uh, also owned up to his bet. Uh, it's just been a great, great week to be me, BLG, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, do, do you want to go to <laughs> do you want to go well, to Washington first? I really, I don't need a break personally. Like I said, I'm wired, but uh, I realize we have to pay the bill. So nobody go anywhere. I'll be back after a very quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right. Since BLG insisted we took a break, we are back. I have not calmed down at all. Um, Brandon, Washington, New York. Mm. I've I've had my fun, so I'll I'll allow you to to do whatever you want here. Where do you want to go, and why? Call me by my first name. Interesting. Um, also. Breaking the fourth wall of the podcast, as I kind of like to do. The break thing is so silly. I mean, we're not we're not taking a break. We're just taking we're just pausing for a second. Do people know that? I, mean, I guess people know that, but um, I mean, it's, they don't. It's normally more than a second, but this time it was really quick. To be honest, like, it was really quick. We like it, it, I, I listen- it's, Yeah, it seems like we took a break, but like we didn't do anything. We just literally stood here. Uh, s- s- we didn't even stand. We're sitting down. <laughs> or at least true. I am. Um, I've listened to Office Ladies before. And like it's funny because I think they like take actual breaks. At least the way they've talked about it, it's like I need to like you know get a snack or something. So they're taking like an actual break. Anyway, no are one you, cares about this. If, if we were them, are you Jenna Fisher yeah. or Angela Kinsey? Like who's uh, who in our partnership? That's a good question. Thank you. Um, that's I don't feel like I identify with uh, Angela as much. I like Pam uh, or um, Jenna Fisher in this case. Sorry, uh, I feel like you know the organization and everything. I feel like that's kind of more of my uh brain where angela's a little more like go with the flow i don't know what do you think i really don't know um i just <laughs> great great answer to your <laughs> yeah, own question I, uh, I have no opinion on this thing that i brought up okay great um, um this is a podcast ladies and gentlemen the dallas uh, cowboys beat the philadelphia eagles 41 21 that's really all so, I, that's really all i came here to say today so. so we'll move on to washington next because we're in theory supposed to go in order even though are the Eagles last in the division? The Eagles are actually third in the division. Okay. Uh, it's Dallas, Washington, because Washington has the divisional win over the Giants. Uh, and then Philly, who has the divisional loss, the Dallas Cowboys, once again, Eagles lost to the Cowboys on Monday. Um, and then the Giants at 0-3. Again, not to pat myself on the back too much here, I have called that they are arguably the worst team in the NFC for a very long time now. So congratulations to RJ. Uh, but you're right, Washington is up first. Well, we'll get to the Giants, but um, yeah, and look, you know, to your credit, I think you were skeptical about Washington. I just, I think it's hard to believe that you thought the defense was going to be this bad, like this step, this, this far of a step back. I know maybe you didn't think it was going to be elite again, and that's that's fair and fine, but like to, to be as bad as they've been, I mean, to put this in the context, RJ, only the Chiefs, who have a lot of defensive issues, obviously, and they play at a higher pace, which is another reason why they give up points. But anyway, the Chiefs, the Lions, and the Falcons. They're the only teams that have allowed more points to Washington this season. And Washington's 5.9 yards per play allowed ranks 22nd in the NFL. And look, like 
there isn't like a, a whole ton of shame in getting really beat up by the Bills, who you know you're very high on, and they have a potential MVP candidate. So like, I'm not trying to like kill them for this specific game, but look, like Josh Allen was struggling. He didn't play well in his first two games, and this is like a big get right game for him. Like you don't want that happening to your team. And uh, they and the other thing is like, and we talked about this I guess last week, but they they allowed 29 points and 391 yards to freaking Jason Garrett. And the Giants, who couldn't even put up more than 14 points against the Falcons. And yeah, so this defense has a lot of issues. Obviously, um, Taylor Heineke has a lot of issues as well, turning the ball over. So, uh, and and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I saw a strength of schedule, and this is something you've touched on before, but I think Washington is either like the toughest strength of schedule left or like the second toughest. So, uh, yeah, but here's the thing, RJ. We've talked about Washington's long-term outlook, and I think like taking a step back is arguably what's best for them in the long term. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the what if conversation we had, you know, still in the offseason. What if they had uh, lost the Eagles in week 17 last year, right? They would have been the team theoretically that would have at least been in better position to land Justin Fields. And I know Justin did not have a great debut in his first NFL start. I blame Matt Nagy for that. And I know that makes you very happy. Uh, One net passing yard. Uh, but um, I do think that, that I. Again, it's hard to say, but I think that we would feel better about the long-term future of Washington if Justin Fields was there. True or false, right? I mean, better than now, yeah, but I don't feel like, oh, wow, they're going to be a juggernaut. And right. here's another thing about the defense I want to add real quick. Like, part of the reason why I think it wasn't, this isn't like, oh, this is so predictable. The def- like, they still have talented players on this defense, and they have continuity in place in the defensive scheme. Like, but it's it's so hard to stick. Like, I don't deny that they're at good all. players. They shouldn't be a bad defense. It's, it's an offensive you- game, though. You but know they're I mean? a really bad defense, and there was no reason to believe all of a sudden they're going to be a really bad defense. I, I never thought they would be this bad. to be And to be clear and fair, also, it's still only week four now, right? Like, they could stabilize, you know what I mean? Like, right. I, I thought they would regress to the mean not to the other end of the spectrum. Sure. Um, and so like maybe that that you know regression is still happening kind of in a in a curvy sort of bouncy way. Um, but I I have thought for a long time that they are frauds. Now their defense was very good last year and I don't deny that. Last year they had three games, only three games where they allowed over 390 yards of total offense. They have allowed over 390 yards of total offense in every single game this season, which is already three games that they have matched. Uh, kind of like Trayvon Diggs has matched his 2020 interception total um, through three games this year. But um but this was a point that I wanted to bang on, you know, a loud level here. So Washington has won eight games. Okay, since Ron Rivera took over last year. By the way, Mike McCarthy has won eight games since he took over the Cowboys last year. You love to talk about how Ron Rivera is much better than Mike McCarthy. These are the teams that Ron Rivera's Washington football team has beaten since he has been their head coach. And I like Ron Rivera the person, but the Philadelphia Eagles last year in the opener and the quarterback that day was Carson Wentz, Basuda. The Dallas Cowboys with Andy Dalton, not great. And they knocked him out of the game. Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow, rookie who they knocked out of the game. The Dallas Cowboys with Andy Dalton on Thanksgiving. I've touched on that before. The non-football components of that that made it very difficult for the Cowboys. We did the Friday Football Friday after that. The Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger, who was already very washed, and that team was imploding in something that you and I have both said was going to happen throughout the season. So congrats to us. We knew the Steelers were also frauds. The San Francisco 49ers with Nick Mullins as their quarterback. The Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts, who got pulled so that the Eagles could lose that game on purpose last year. And finally, the New York Giants, obviously in week two of the season on Thursday Night Football. Great game. Taylor Heineke was really entertaining. But still, they have eight wins, and five of them 
are against the division that the world loves to trash in the NFC East. And even then, one of those five wins was a gift by Doug Peterson on his way out of the city of brotherly love. So I just, they, they do not have a quality win under Ron Rivera. They don't, they don't, they don't have a single quality win since he has been their head coach. I realize we're only now what 20 games into that, but they don't have a quality win to really speak to. Do you think we will do Friday football Friday again this year? Hmm. Well, the Cowboys obviously play on Thanksgiving. They play the Raiders. Do you think that'll be worth it? Um, who else is playing on Thanksgiving? I don't know. This is well, bad. I now, this now we do have a Friday show on the SB Nation NFL show. So that was part of the reason why last year that we did it. But did we, no, we did last year too, but they just didn't do it because they, they weren't going to record because of the holiday. Mm, I think you're right. So we'll actually. see. So whatever. We'll figure, but we'll the, point, the point is Washington is a bunch of frauds. Like it's, and I, I promise I'm not trying to just like continue the victory lap here because the Cowboys beat the Eagles. It is hilarious to me that anybody thought that this team could contend for the NFC's title, given the Cowboys offense. Like that, this is an offensive league. And again, you've acknowledged the Cowboys passing offense is elite. I mean, that that will trounce this defense, even if the defense regresses to the mean. You know what I mean? Obviously, especially now that it's in a disaster, you know, sort of state. But I it is I, I just and I think that sometimes so often, and you know this certainly better than most, when when people, not you or I, make their predictions in week one of a season, they just they just change like two division winners from the year before. You know what I mean? And they're like, well, I think they're going to, like, they just live off of like the most recent results. When this is the NFL, there's more turnover in this league than there is in anything else. And it never made sense. It, I think it was actually incredibly irresponsible of them to think that just signing Ryan Fitzpatrick, I know he got hurt, but that that was enough on offense. That was a really, really silly way to go up. They just wasted this year. They just burned it to your point that losing is better for them in the long term. They just wasted a whole nother year. All right. Well, we'll see when they get a high draft pick and take, I don't know. I I don't like any of these quarterbacks. I've asked you this question before. If you're a Washington football team fan, do you still feel like taking Chase Young over Justin Herbert was the right decision last year? I do. Like if, you, if, you, if you could go back and if you could go back and undo it as a Washington fan, would you trade Chase Young for Justin Herbert? Um, no. Obviously, you take Justin Herbert. But I mean, like if we're talking about at the time, the informed decision, I think it was a reasonable thing to do. Um, if you have the benefit of hindsight, of course, you'd take Justin Herbert. Mm. Well, um, anything else? So we want, oh, Washington. Uh, their next, like you mentioned, their schedule. They are at Atlanta this week. Mm. Atlanta, that should be a win. It should be, and shout out to the Giants, of course. Uh, I do think they'll win this game, but I just and and again, that won't be a quality win either. You know what I mean? Like they they just don't have they don't have it. Gross, whatever. The Giants, RJ, are mm, pathetic. Talk about gross. And yeah. I, I I so I truly believe the Giants are going to beat the Falcons because I've seen how bad the Falcons are, and I know the Giants aren't good, but like. I figured, like, okay, they have enough going for them, and it was a home game, and they had extra rest, and it was like Eli Manning's retirement ceremony. Like, it felt like <laughs> they just had enough going for them that, like, they could beat the Falcons. Maybe it wasn't going to be pretty, but, like, it's like you have to beat this team. But they can't even score more than 14 points against that defense. Like, that's pathetic, man. They're and 18. That was like, dude, it, it, it was like a Herculean effort. To score for you know, it, it took like they had to reach deep in the barrel to get 14 points. It's gross, man. It's I actually like it's I now feel bad for Saquon. You know, like that's that's the point I've reached. Or like I feel bad for who he is as an NFL talent. I 
I, I feel badly for him that he is trapped by this team. He's one of those players, and I think you have these two that, like, I can't wait till he's on a non-NFC East team and I can just, like, openly root for him without feeling the conflict. Yeah, I don't care. I really have, I have no opinion on that. But I do have an opinion on where the Giants rank in the NFL, and I have them 30th in my power rankings. And I think it's very clear. I think Only, I think, only ahead of the Jaguars and Jets? Yep. I think they could definitely beat those teams. I, just, I mean, the Jets, honestly, the Jets might be the worst. They are so bad, man. The Jets are, and like, not surprisingly, too, apparently to some of the SB Nation NFL show people that said, I think, at, like, Pete at one point, like, didn't commit to it, but said, like, shout out Pete Sweeney from Monday Football Money, said, like, hey, oh, the Jets might sneak in as a wild. I know. I've, uh, Mondays are anyway, tough. I'll just say that. And, yeah. I mean, he didn't, like, commit to that, in fairness. He didn't, I, I think he was kind of just, like, working through it, and then he kind of backed off of it. Anyway, this isn't about the Jets. It's about the Giants, although the Jets and the Giants have the same record, 18 and 49 since the start of the 2017 season. To put that in perspective, RJ, the Eagles won 16 games, including the playoffs, during the 2017 season alone. Like, So two fewer wins in one season alone in 2017 than the Giants have since 2017. Like, That's crazy. Uh, so I, I'm sure you saw that John Mara, the Giants co-owner, was booed during the halftime. Uh, ceremony for Eli Manning and then there was that tweet going around for the New York Post about uh, how he seemingly knocked over some trash cans and frustration uh, and Joe Judge RJ Bad like vibes. I mean a guy who punted from the fourth and Coward. four mark at the th- Falcon 39 yard line while trailing in the game like but as he said after the game everything is going to, or no he said quote we're going to be all right guys we're going to be all right. <laughs> no, they're not. And and you to your credit, you pointed this out on Monday Football Monday. The Giants' next six games, as you know, at Saints, at Cowboys, versus Rams, versus Panthers, at Chiefs, versus Raiders. Like, at the and very then, best case And scenario. then they're on their bye, and they get the Bucks after that. Oh, there you go. I, and I think, in, so let's include that in there. The best case scenario, like, the most optimistic, realistic scenario is they win two games, I think, in that stretch. Like, that is the best case scenario. And, and is that, they yeah, that, that's like really, you know, like like stretching things to be positive. You know, like like reaching the point of impracticality. It's, it's just to get the two wins. I mean, dude, like they just – I know we say things like vibes and juice and stuff, but like I don't know of a, of a more appropriate way to say it. Like they lack such juice. Like they're boring. You know what I mean? Like it just – it sucks to watch them. They have the most, I maintain, they have the most boring road uniforms in the NFL. I hate the white uh, jerseys with the gray pants look. It's just, it. it's awkward. It was so, oh, you mentioned Eli. It's not even stripe. their color. Gray is not one of their colors. Or red. I know they have the red stripe, but like it's not a dominant color. But like the numbers should be blue. You know what I mean? Like, because that's their like main, their big blue, but whatever. Um, and so anyway, um, I, I had tweeted this, but I thought it was just incredibly appropriate that when Eli was honored, that the Giants often said six points on the board. Like that was just, you know, I mean, what what better tribute could you do? And again, like I don't I don't want to like completely trash, you know, the Giants, although I do. But and uh, Ed Valentine from Big Blue View is a great guy. But it is like it's hilarious to me that any Washington fan thought they could win the division. It's astoundingly hilarious to me that any Giants fan thought that they could win the division. I mean, this this team sucks. Like, they flat out suck. I think it just comes from, like, wanting to believe it. Like, willing it into existence almost. Because they've been for so bad for so long, they feel like maybe by accident. I don't know. Like, in addition to them being bad and having this hard schedule, they just lost Blake Martinez, who we had mm-hmm. as our, like, our NFC's linebacker. Shout like, out. our top one. 
Um, so he has an ACL injury. He's out. And I've said this before, but I also want to like stress this: like the Giants' ineptitude since winning their last title, for me at least, really underscores like how much of that was luck than like in, like this very impressive, competent, like well earned thing. And then on Eli, real quick, I had to say this too. I already tweeted this out, but I want to read it here on the podcast because I can. And it was the aforementioned Ed Valentine RJ who put out an article titled "How Will You Remember Eli Manning?" Oh, and oh no, I had to say he's. I'm not, this is, but like, I'm not even trying to troll here. This is how I'm going to remember him. And tell me, these aren't facts. He is a career 500 quarterback with an 84.1 passer rating, who was 20 or sorry, 10 and 23 in 33 games against the Eagles, and was part of one of the luckiest title runs in sports history, not just NFL history, in sports history. He's not a Hall of Famer. That's how I remember Eli Manning. He was carried, and now like. This is a whole different subject, but like I'm very interested to see like what the Manning cast does for like sports television, right? Like, do we get this like, you know, with other things? You know what I mean? Like, I think that, you know, there I think you agree there are gonna be other networks to try to do this. And so it's gonna be viewed as this like revolutionary, visionary, like landmark thing that like changes the way we consume television or sports on television. And he's a part of that. But, but like not doing anything. You know what I mean? Like Peyton is is the the show, you know what I mean? And Eli's just there. And that's how I will remember Eli. Just there, just around, just, just there. a guy. Um, I I did want to add. I know you mentioned the strength of schedule. Mike Clay tweeted this out on. Uh, on yeah, Tuesday. that's what I was seeing. Right. Yeah. Um. And so the Cowboys, just as an NFC East, like you know, thirty thousand foot view here, have the eighth easiest remaining schedule left mm-hmm. of the entire NFL. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you remember off the top of your head where they rank? They're like twelfth or something. They're thirteenth. So you know, okay. and and yep. the. The 31st team, so the second hardest schedule left is the Washington football team. The yeah. 32nd team, so the hardest schedule left is the New York Giants. So the hardest two schedules left re- re- belong to Washington and to New York. And I think some of that, and that's why, you know, I, I had talked so much about how it was so important for the Cowboys to go one and one through their first two weeks. Some of that is that the Eagles, Washington, and the Giants all have Tampa and the Chargers still on their schedule to go. And those are obviously very difficult teams to beat. In theory, the Cowboys were able to scrape by with one win there. Obviously, they all still have to play the Kansas City Chiefs. The Eagles get their first crack at that on Sunday. But um, yeah, man, I mean, like, I know you mentioned, that, you know, just quickly, very quickly, win loss for the Giants at New Orleans. I don't say they're going to lose all at, six of those. Okay, so at New Orleans, at Dallas, Rams, Panthers, at Chiefs, Raiders, and then at the Bucks, you have them losing right after the bye. So they're zero and ten. Eagles at home, right? That's a loss. Zero and eleven at Miami. I don't think they're beating the Dolphins. At the Chargers, definitely not winning that game. At the Cowboys, definitely not winning that game. At Philly, definitely not winning that game. Maybe they beat the Bears. Maybe. Like, okay. <laughs> like that's it. That I mean, I they're I incentivized to beat the Bears potentially because you know they own the Bears first round pick. I, su- I suppose that's true, but I mean, at that although point, I guess they probably want their pick to be lower. Never mind. They probably want their own pick to be a better pick because the Bears are probably going to be better than the Giants. Right. So, I mean, and then after that, they finish with Washington. Like, it's, it's very difficult to find a game that they should win. And I know they had to, like, fluky beat Seattle game last year and, like, maybe something right. like that happens. But um, I mean, they'll right probably now, win at least one game. They're not going to go. I don't think they're going to go the season, like, winless. I think they'll, I mean, it's, it's just like it happens. Like, teams luck into a win sometimes. Are they the worst team in the NFC? Uh, who's worse? Who would be worse? Like, who's your I, case? I mean, Atlanta. Um, they just, <laughs> they just yeah, they Atlanta's just lost the Atlanta. contender. I think, and that's what I said all offseason long. The only team I was confident would be worse than them is the Lions, and I'm 
happy to be wrong about that. Like, it's nice to see them kind of fighting for the end game. Like, they're going to win a game. They might win a couple of games. You know what I mean? They're clearly uh, they must won. They must, they must right. beat the Ravens, yeah. They, they, are, they beat the Giants 10 out of 10 times. The Lions do. I fully believe that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. So, uh, in closing, BLG, now that we've also discussed all four teams' strength of schedules, who is the favorite to win the NFC? Or rather, who's going to win the NFC East? Um, the Eagles, man. They're going to make this thing. They're going to come mm. back. I thought you weren't hurt about year. Mm. <laughs> so, so we're just, you know, we're not going to say it. You know, you, you just you can't say it. I said it. The Eagles are going to win it. Don't worry about it. Okay. So you want to make another bet on that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? What what left do I have to lose? No, obviously not. I'm not going to um, give you the satisfaction of saying it. I don't have to say it. You can't you make me say it. You don't, but every, anything you say on Twitter this week will basically feel like you're saying it um, huh. to, right. to me. Um, anything else you want to add? Or actually, r- very quickly, uh, games. I think we should start adding this. Predict the NFC's games this week. So we think that Washington wins at Atlanta, right? Yep. We think New York loses in New Orleans, obviously. Um, yep. Although, you- like, I will say, like, I think the Giants will lose, but, like, Jameis could have a disaster game. Like, that, mm, that possibility That is exists. the wild like, card, true. Yeah, um, Dallas gets the Panthers without McCaffrey and with J.C. Horn, obviously not playing maybe for the rest of the season, which really sucks. But uh, who wins that game? Um, I think the Cowboys win, but I think it's going to be close. So, I like Matt Rule, and I like jo- uh, Joe Brady. Of course you do. Um, Eagles get the Chiefs at home. This, this is, I and I really, now I'm actually not trying to pile on. This is the worst possible way to get the Chiefs, the way the Eagles are. I mean... A super yeah. pissed off Chiefs team that has the world doubting them. And the Eagles are winless against Andy Reid. They lost in 2013, Chip Kelly and Doug Peterson in week two of 2017. Um, so they've yet to beat Big Red. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, maybe the Eagles offense actually puts up some points because the Chiefs defense is really bad. But uh, yeah, I'm going to so, say Patrick Mahomes beats Jalen Hurts. I will say this, and I can't wait to hear whatever bet you and Pete Sweeney come up with um, and to hear Pete's reaction to this on Monday football Monday, but I can see a world like an NFL world, not an Eagles world where the Eagles have just gotten embarrassed and everybody's like, you know, mad, everybody's screaming all this, all this inward fighting where they just come out and they, again, Andy Reid's going for his hundredth win with the chiefs and they deny him. And so it's like, because, because again, the chiefs are kind of, the NFL is all about stories, right? Like, that's why we love it. The Chiefs are on that story arc, right? Like, the team that's imploding right now, like, the what's going on? No, it's not going to be that bad. No, we're going to we're gonna dig ourselves out of this. And they're playing with – if anyone's playing with arrogance, it's Patrick Mahomes right now. There's no need to throw no-look passes all the time. And so I could see yeah. them trying to be cute again and just it working out. And and then it, and then every Eagles fan is back saying, we beat the Chiefs, you know, blah, 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 et cetera. And the – Kansas City Chiefs being one and three. That would be really funny. Uh, on the, I want to touch on Patrick Mahomes really quick. On that no look pass thing, like he's not getting crushed enough for I that. I agree being, with you like, 100%. Especially proportionately. Like if that was a completion, it'd be, oh my God, another no look pass by Patrick Mahomes. But he throws a no look pass for no reason because the guy is wide open. And I actually saw an arrowhead pride proper, RJ, not, I don't think from Pete, but from someone else that like, they call that like a dropped pass. It was not a drop pass when you throw, throw it behind a guy when he's wide open. Like that's not a drop. Like okay, he could have caught it, but like it didn't need that be that hard of a pass. It was like for no reason. It was a difficult pass to catch when it could have been simple. Anyway, um, Patrick Mahomes is <laughs> is to quarter is to players what Sean McVay is to coaching. 
Like, he, <laughs> he, no, like, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me he doesn't want the like, oh my God, he did it again. <laughs> you know, like he, oh moms, like he real, like, I, I think that, I think that you start to become like victims of your own circumstance in positive mm. and negative ways, like in any, you know, facet of life. And I think the chiefs, partly to their benefit, have started to believe this, like, we're invincible thing. And everybody loves to compare them to the Warriors. And, like, maybe it's just that. Like, we can hit threes from anywhere on the court, whatever. Um, and and so you're totally right. If any other quarterback tries that no-look pass and it gets tipped and it's intercepted, Crushed. even the other interception he threw, he just that was so misguided of him. And, and it's nobody the, the same way people want to invent more reasons why he's awesome. Nobody ever wants to touch him whenever he has faults. So the last thing I'll say on the Chiefs matchup is that I don't really believe in a trap game coming off a loss because I don't know how you can overlook your opponent after you're like one and two and you're at the bottom of the division. And you're coming off a disappointing loss. But if you're just looking at like how the schedule kind of shapes up for the Chiefs, I mean, is it impossible that they could overlook the Eagles who are coming off this really bad loss on a short week before they play the Bills? Like, that's a big game for them coming up next week. Like, is it impossible that they they overlook this game? I don't think so. I'm not counting on it. Um, but, like, this is a seven-and-a-half-point spread. I don't think it's impossible that the Eagles cover this because, one, the Chiefs seem to, like, never cover and play down to their level of competition. So this might be more competitive a game than people think, especially because like everyone's going to be down on the Eagles coming off a blowout loss and everything and suffering more injuries with Isaac Smalo out for the season now. Um, and Brandon Brooks already out. And obviously we'll see. We don't know if Jordan Milato will be back yet. So uh, I don't think it's insane that the Eagles might cover. I don't think they're going to win, but they, they might be able to cover seven and a half. I don't think that's crazy either. Like I said, I totally agree with you on the trap game thing because Buffalo is surging right now. You know what I mean? Like, and Buffalo is playing really well. I could see, and I, I, I could really see the Chiefs being like, how dare people put us below the Bills in their power rankings on Tuesday? You know what I mean? Like, we can't, because that game also, not just a big game, that game's on Sunday Night Football. You know what I mean? So I could see them saying like, we just got to get back. We got to do this. We got to get ready, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, because we're going to beat the Bills. We got to show, and then you're right. Boom, trap game. Um. I would be lying if I said I didn't really enjoy this episode, PLG. It was a good episode in terms of, uh, I think, we brought a lot of good perspective, analysis, takes, entertainment, maybe. Not not as much entertainment. It was not a very entertaining episode. We didn't, we didn't banter as much, I feel like. Uh, so, But you know what? There's a lot of stuff to talk about. So we did that instead, and it was good. It's a good he episode. Is. People should listen to that NFC East mixtape. I, I highly recommend it. It's a good, uh, episode, good podcast. You can listen on both the Bleeding Green Nation and Blog and the Boys podcast networks. Leave a rating, write a review, whatever you want to write in the review. Leave a five-star rating. You can write a review on either Blog and the Boys, Bleeding Green Nation. You can say whatever you want. As long as it's five stars, we don't care. Uh, but BLG4121. He is on Twitter at Brandon Gowden, an incredible place to be this week of all weeks he's a great sport a man of his word and speaking of words i have the last one that touchdown that the nfl took away from dak prescott was total crap